We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 1 Samuel chapter 30. As we actually finish uh, this book tonight, and I'm really excited about being able to go through the Bible and uh, study now. Uh, we get into 2 Samuel. We're going to see eventually the reign of David and, uh, and then the kings and the chronicles, the history of the rise and fall of Israel. Um, who knows, man? Lord willing, we'll be able to get in all the prophets. And it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous lesson for us tonight. You know, in studying the life of David and Saul, um, I, I personally, I believe that God wants to make me a different man. And, you know, I think these were two men that in many ways, in many ways, I think that you could probably say they both had the same potential. I would say that. But the difference is just the way that they reacted to, to life and the things that life throws at them. You know, um, in going through our study today, we're going to see that uh, uh, Saul dies and David is then raised up and uh, he's going to be eventually the next king of Israel. It's been a long process. It's probably been somewhere around 10 years. 10 years is a long time huh, to wait. And we know there are other individuals in the Bible that had to wait longer. Um, we know that uh, Noah, you know, had to wait a while, um, Abraham, 25 years, um, Moses, 40 years. Um, and so how long have you been waiting, just out of curiosity? <laughs> you know, don't, don't, do, don't lose heart. You know, a few things I think that are, are important for today's study, I put them here on the slide, is am I responsible? It's supposed to be a P there. Am I responsible? And what I mean by that is when life throws things at you, how do you respond to them? We're going to see tonight that uh, David goes to the Lord. And he goes to the Lord. Saul, he, he never really did. He never really did. And so, you know, we know that God is sovereign in all of our lives, but we are responsible. So there's a sovereignty of God that we talk about, and there's a responsibility of man. And so how your life ends up in the end, it depends on what you do when you are you know, confronted with the issues of life. And so am I responsible? And I mean, you know, in a good way, responding. Number two, am I teachable? Saul wasn't, David was. And then in the end, we're going to see this determines on whether or not I'm reachable. Saul was not reachable. And here's the thing, okay? As you go through life and you get hit with things, and some of you here, it's a physical thing, a financial thing, it's an emotional thing, it's a, it's a demonic thing, it's a spiritual thing. I, I know this, that Satan hasn't changed his tactics. You want to know something? He is a liar. And so I could just imagine how many of you here are dealing with different types of lies. Now, sometimes those lies are articulated through other people. It could be, you know, in a classroom setting. But uh, I would venture to say that even a lot of those times, they are just, you know, arrows that enter into your mind. They enter into your thought life. They're, oh, he doesn't like me anymore. He hates me or she hates me or whatever the thing is. And we're always dealing with those lies. And so, you know, you know, God is long-suffering. Uh, I would venture to say that a lot of you here have failed in the past. We do stumble from time to time. 
But, but do we get up and do we get on our knees and do we get into the word and do we walk by faith? You know, do we, you know, really seek the Lord in fasting and in a serious, you know, Christianity? You know, because I think that was where Saul failed. You know, God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. But notice right here it says, God is long-suffering with many lifelines, but he does have deadlines. And in the end, you know, if you just don't want to change, I mean, some people, they just... They just don't want to change. They end up kind of like Saul. And uh, what ends up happening is, I guess you could say, he got what was coming to him. And so I don't think there are a lot of you like that here today. I think most of you here, you're here on a Thursday night, man. And so I'm proud of you, you know, and Christmas season. And I'm sure you're not done with your shopping. I would venture to say that the vast majority of you here are really seeking the Lord. You're not perfect, but you have that inclination, right? But, you know, in areas of our life, we need to grow. And there might be some of you here, like a Saul, who just, you're, you're so stubborn. You're so hard-hearted. You're so resistant. And God is warning you, you better change. I mean, today I read the book of Hosea. I read the book of Joel. And I, I was just blown away at how God judged people. And, you know, for, for those of you here, if there are any of you here, you don't want to change, I'm telling you, man, you better change. You better grow up. You better get to where you need to be because God doesn't mess around. He's, he's long-suffering. He's got plenty of lifelines. Praise God for that. But he does have deadlines. And we see that tonight in the study of Saul and in the study of of David. Because look what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30 in verse 1. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. They had taken the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. And so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Imagine that. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreelitis, and the Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. You know, what a, what a horrible situation, you guys. If you think about that for a second, you know. I, do, I seriously don't know if I can think of anything worse. I mean, you come home after having been completely rejected. Remember, that's bad enough. We saw that last week. The Philistines had rejected them. You come home, and, and you come home and find that your home is burned to the ground. And, you know, really that's not a big deal because in comparison to what else is going on, it's nothing because you have found that someone has kidnapped your wife and your children. They've been taken captive. You don't know if they're still alive. You don't know what they're doing to your family. I mean, I don't know what your situation is like, but I don't know if I can think of a situation that could possibly be worse than this. It's a crazy thing. You know, it happens not only to your family, but it says here to all the families that David had been with within the community that you, David, had led. 
And so, and so what do you do? What do you do in a situation like that? Well, verse 4 is very understandable. David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep, right? I mean, that's understandable. And, and then, as if things can actually get any worse, notice what you read in verse 6. It says, Now David was greatly distressed. Here's the reason. Because the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And we'll pause there for a second. You know, this is a crazy situation. David's wives are gone. His children are gone. And now we find it even gets worse. And the guys are thinking about stoning David. You know, let me tell you something. I don't know how you guys are, but I'm beginning to learn more and more in life that whenever something goes wrong, it's actually good to determine, if possible, why did this happen? Could this have been avoided? And sometimes even, who should I blame for this? Now, I know at first glance, you're like, no, I don't know if I should do that. We don't want to play the blame game or blame shifting and things like that. And, and of course, you know, all these men had themselves to blame for following David. But, you know, I don't think anyone forced them to do that. But at the same time, they did have David to blame, right, to a certain extent, for leading them to this place where they were lined up with the Philistines and they had completely lost their families. In a roundabout sense, in one sense, David was responsible because they were following him at one time he was following the Lord and now he's not following the Lord anymore it's been a year and four months and in one sense and I don't know we don't like to blame people but in one sense it was David's fault and so what are they doing well they're they're talking about getting rid of him you know and every once in a while you got to get rid of a leader someone who doesn't catch God's vision no one's beyond replacement. And so, you know, David, you know what? We're not only get rid of you, you know, they were, they were going to kill him. So they just talk, right? And so, you know, I don't know. I, I know this probably wasn't as bad as David losing his family. But I think that he was really hurting at this point. I mean, just like the, they call it in, in the biblical terminology, the death of a vision, the death of a vision, that everything that he had thought he was made to do and for and life, it was just like just, everything seemed to be dying at this point. And, you know, there's a lot of people, they reach that point, and what ends up happening, you want to know, oftentimes is, man, they, they give up. They, they give up. And what we've learned from David and the difference between him and Saul is that David at this point it is something really cool. Notice again, we read in verse 6, Now David is greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. Here it is, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. 
And that's, and I don't know if you ever find yourself in that situation, if you're not in a trial now, get ready because you will be. <laughs> you're right, God's either repairing you or preparing you, man. And so you, you have to find yourself when you are faced with that situation, whatever it is, my encouragement to you is don't give up. Don't give up. I want to encourage you to look up. And when you do that, man, what ends up happening is you strengthen yourself in the Lord. And, and the reason why that phrase right there is so important is because it shows the human element of it. I know some people will say it's all God. It's all God's sovereignty. And yes, it's true. Without him, we can do nothing. But we as human beings, we have a responsibility and in order to gather the strength of the Lord, the strength of Almighty God, you and I have to take steps. And what David does is he prays, he prayed, and then he obeyed, right? He calls Abiathar and he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to inquire of the Lord. Something that we haven't read of him doing for at least a year and four months. Imagine that. You know, and, and that's when we really begin to pray. And, and I just want to encourage you guys. I know I say this all the time, and I hope you're not tired of hearing it, but I want to encourage you in your prayer life. How is your prayer life? On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you say? <laughs> if I could say that, you know? Have you really been connecting with God? Have you been getting down on your knees? I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, it's not all physical posture, but, you know, um, is it been sincere? Has it been sweet? Has it been deep? Has it been real? Just as a, a curiosity, going through all the minor prophets I've been going through lately, and even the major prophets, a lot of times you, you read about fasting. So, when, you know, when you're serious about the Lord, and I don't want to get legalistic or weird, but you know what? God's going to lead you to fast. I believe that. We spoke about that the other night with the young adults and talking about fasting and, and just talking about how they asked Jesus, well, how come you and your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said, well, because now it's the time of celebration. You know, now it's the wedding, so to speak, in one aspect of it because the bridegroom was there. Imagine going to a wedding and you didn't have any food. Would you guys leave? You'd be like, what's up with this wedding, right? And so Jesus said, now it's not time to fast, but when I leave, guess what time it is? It's time to fast. So let me ask you, when was the last time you fasted? And you're like, man, it's Christmas time. The average person gave seven pounds during this time, and it's true. <laughs> That's a better reason to fast. Huh? No, I'm just joking. You know, we really need to seek the Lord. And, and so, you know, you're there in your situation, and what did David do? He inquired of the Lord. He got serious with the Lord. He prayed. And once the Lord told him what to do, yes, I want you to go and I want you to chase after them. You're going to overtake them. You're going to recover all. What a beautiful promise. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Where the enemy is trying to strip away from you how God will allow you to go and to follow hard and, and it's so cool, you're going to recover all. I, I love even that promise I read today that God will restore the years the canker worm has eaten. I'm telling you guys, God is good. God is so good. Follow him. Follow him. And so David does just that. We read that in verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. 
Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. And then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master has left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to the troop? And so he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And so you're like, Manny, I've been praying. I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm all prayed up. Okay, you've been praying. Cool, I'm proud of you. Have you been obeying? See, praying is cool, but then when, when the Lord begins to show you things, and, and I believe he gives you marching orders, and he gives you the strength to do whatever it is he's called you to do, you have to go out. You know, we're going to see that David has already been marching for three straight days. Okay, three straight days. If you had been marching, you had been traveling for three straight days. If we did three straight days, we could get pretty far. Couldn't we go to, how far could we go? You guys know? <laughs> New York. I don't know. I know one guy, he drives really fast, but I shouldn't use him as an example. But, you know, you're going for three days, and you're like, I'm done. I'm not going anywhere else because we're get tired. We get lazy, lazy. And I'm not trying to say be over busy, but all I'm trying to say, bottom line, in the end, because I know in my life as the new year starts, I'm trying to be really careful with my schedule. I really am. And so you don't want to put too much on your plate because then you're going to be spread out so thin you're not doing anything right. But here's the thing. In the end, it all comes down to being obedient. That's the bottom line. And so you've been marching for three straight days. You're tired. You're tired. But the Lord says, go and, and pursue them. And, uh, and, and David could have said, but Lord, why don't you just zap them? You know? Why don't you do it a different way? You know? I don't want to get involved. I'm tired. And the Lord says, no, I want you to take some steps of faith. And so they go and they pursue, right? David and his 600 men take off. And when they come to the brook uh, Besor, 200 men were there and they were, they were sore. Now, really, that's how you say that name, be sore. I looked it up. I'm all sure it's be sore. Yes, it's be sore. So they were sore, okay? <laughs> they were too sore to continue. And so they stayed behind, and the 400 went forward. And, uh, and on the way, they found an Egyptian man. He was barely alive. And so they saw him there on the, on the side. I don't think they stopped to be good Samaritans. Uh, undoubtedly, they knew that this man had been abandoned by raiders. And so, you know, they give him some bread, they give him some water, they give him some figs, they give him some raisins, until his strength returned to the point that they could communicate with him. And then David began to interrogate him, right? And sure enough, this guy was part of the group that had invaded Ziklag and burned it with fire. And so David asks, okay, can you lead us there? And the man responds, if you promise not to kill me. And so... You know, the Lord, huh? Isn't it the Lord? 
I mean, this guy's about to die, and what's that all about? Well, the Lord, you know, I don't know, man, but oh, we'll leave him there to die. It's all part of God's plan. God's on the throne. I mean, it's so amazing to me, you guys. Don't, you always have to have your antennas up. You always have to be aware. Today we went to Shakey's. We had a, a Calvary Chapel Almani staff meeting. So there's three of us on staff, right? And so I'm like, <laughs> I told him, I said, man, I want to do something special for you guys because I hear about some other companies or places that people work and they're giving them iPads and things like that, you know? I'm like, we can't do iPads, but I can take you to Shakey's. We can take you to Shakey's, right? <laughs> and so we went there. But while we were there, you know, I have some church cards. Hey, you know, invite you to church, invite you to church, whatever. And this one gal says, I know you. You're the priest that did, you know, Katie's wedding. I'm, I'm not a priest, you know, but, <laughs> you know, and just, you know, you strike up a little conversation and you begin to just share and, and just different things. I know this, that God is so sovereign and God is constantly putting people in our paths and we just have to be aware of that. Here the Lord has this Egyptian man and he's there to, to point them uh, to where they need to be. And so we read in verse 16, it says, And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. I think that's so cool. And then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. And so... The Egyptian man says that's where they are. They go and they find them there. And they're eating, drinking, and dancing. Little did they know that in a few minutes they'd be dying. Huh. What happens, man? That night and the entire next day, think about that. David and his men attacked and killed all but 400 of the men who had escaped on camels. And so think about that. There's 400 of them. They've been traveling for three days and then another 15 miles. And there they, they're, they're, they attack them, and there must have been a lot of guys there. A lot of guys, a lot of people. And so the Lord gives them just a complete victory. Don't you trip out on how they lost nothing? They lost nothing. You know, that's a lesson for us. I think when we're following the Lord, how the enemy can't take anything away from us. So cool. But David recovered all that had been taken away most notably, it mentions his two wives. Because after our relationship with God, then comes our relationship with our spouse. For those of you who are married, you don't forget it. I want to encourage you, love God first, love your spouse next. Don't be one of those spouses who love others more than they love their spouse. That's a shame. Love your spouse. He talks about his wives. They were very dear to him. David recovers them. And in verse 20, it seems to indicate that they even added to their flocks and herds. We're going to see that they got so much spoil. And not only that, but David, they gave, kind of gave David the flocks. And so it's really cool how the Lord blesses. But as often happens, the acquisition of stuff can often bring out the worst in people. 
And so we read in verse 21, Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook at Besor. And so they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. In other words, literally in the Hebrew, he asked them, How are you guys doing? You doing okay? Yeah. But, verse 22, Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. Is this the attitude that we're supposed to have after victory? Ah. They get back to the brook, and there are the 200 men. They've been waiting, undoubtedly so blessed, you know, that their families have been rescued. But what the Bible says is there were wicked and worthless men among the 400 who fought, and they're not too happy. And number one, they want to make sure that none of the 200 gets any of their plunder, any of their riches, any of their spoil. And number two, they want to just give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. That was their heart. They were greedy, like a lot of people today are greedy, and they were divisive. They were divisive. You know, when you read that right there, I think that we need to be so careful because those are two sins that can really mess us up as a church. You know, when is enough enough? You know, and that person right there, you know what? They might not have worked as hard as you or whatever the case may be, but isn't it the spirit of Christ to be generous, to be giving? I've learned, and I know you guys know this, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you might find that by giving to that person who, yeah, in one sense is unworthy, but when you give to that person who is in one sense, unworthy. You show them the way God has blessed you, the way God has, has, has blessed your life. You know, let us never forget, and, and we're going to see in our study in this aspect of it, it these 400 men, they didn't, they didn't get the credit. They weren't the ones who really wrought the victory. It was the Lord. You know, and in our own lives, I found that you know, whenever, you know, you come to the plate, you come to the pulpit, you come to what a position that you have in the church, whenever you try to come on your own righteousness, do you see what a sin that is? Because, you know, although there are some that are better than others in one sense, none of us is good enough. I mean, if I come to you and I had a good last couple of days, what, 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 can, I, what, what can I offer? I have to come in the righteousness of Christ and no other righteousness. Now, of course, we have a responsibility to be obedient because we don't want to abuse the grace of God. But what I've found is that when we come with that same attitude that Christ has bestowed to us, then we're like the Lord. And David here, he shows wisdom. The leader is rising now with words that are wise because look at how David responds in verse 23. David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. 
they shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. And so David does something very important. He acknowledges to them all publicly and clearly, clearly, that the Lord was the one responsible for the victory. You know, there was a time of grace and unity that David had entered in. And as, so as a matter of fact, David says, from this day forward, as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. And it actually became a statute for Israel. You know, and so let's just say you go to the crusade or, you know, you support in the crusade, Harvest Crusade. You might not be the one doing the preaching, but if you're there praying, if you're there inviting, if you're there, whatever it is, you give your $10 or whatever it is, somehow you're a part of it, then it's an interesting, you know, to think that when, you know, the rewards are distributed one day in heaven, you know, Greg Laurie's not going to get more than you. Did you guys know that? You're like, oh, Greg Laurie, man, he's on the radio. He's got a calendar, you know, I don't know. He's got a daily devotional, I don't know. But you know you pray for him or whoever it might be. You know, it doesn't matter. The, the pastor, the, the guy that has that, you know, mega church or the small church, it doesn't really matter. There's no such thing as a small church in God's vernacular. But, but one of the things that's so important for us to know is that, you know, if we're there and we're guarding the supplies, if we're there in the back ground and we're not in the forefront it doesn't matter there's this principle that we find that god will reward both equally it's just based on your faithfulness you'd be surprised one day when we're home in heaven you guys are going to see it you're going to say oh yeah i think manny talked about that that so many people who no one ever saw they were never on the platform they were never behind a microphone they never got recorded you know they never you know they they no one knew them but they were prayer warriors you're going to see one day how god is going to reward their faithfulness and so we need to be careful and we need to be generous in the kingdom you know there's a similar principle found over in the book of numbers chapter 31 and verse 27 it says and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war who went out to battle and all the congregation. So the principle is there even in the Old Testament. So David is being biblical. David is being practical. David is coming back to the, to the leader that he needs to be in order to become the king of Israel. You know, something important that David does here is he reveals to these people and he reminds them of the fact that it was the Lord who gave them the victory it wasn't them. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because I really think this is so important, you guys. Let's just say one day God like made this church like a really big church or something, you know. Like, you know, people measure churches nowadays. And, uh, and let's just say you got rich. I don't know what it is. Are you going to take the credit? I hope not. Because there's a lesson that we must never, never take the credit. You know, and I think that a lot of times some people are, 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 are prideful. They're prideful. And, and pride is such a terrible sin. It's a terrible sin. And you've got to be careful that you don't take the credit. 
Maybe you know, you're going to get disciplined. You want to know how you're going to get disciplined? God's going to take you and he's not going to use your life anymore. I've seen a lot happen to a lot of people where God was using their lives in a tremendous way. And it was amazing. And then they got prideful. And it, and it, and it rears its ugly heads in different ways. And then, you know, whatever, they leave the church or whatever the case may be. And it's weird. It's like, man, God's not really using them to their full capacity or whatever. It's not just leaving the church, just different things. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 in, in verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and when you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the, and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. How many of you here, as you're getting older, find that your memory is getting worse? <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah, huh, it's so true. You know, uh, but, but I've noticed this, and you can ask my wife about this, because, you know, before I was a Christian, I did a lot of drugs. I messed up my brain. I really did. And as I'm getting older now, probably because I'm going to use an excuse here, I've got so many things going on, you know, that I just forget. I forget things. Uh, but by the Spirit, I believe that even those of us whose brains are getting messed up, we can remember. And we can remember that apart from the Lord, you know, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't have the, the water that we drink. You wouldn't have the oxygen that we bring, breathe. You wouldn't have the wealth that you have. Whatever you do, don't think it was you. It was the Lord. And so he says, don't forget. Don't forget. And so these guys, they got the victory. The 400 men, they forgot. <laughs> it didn't take long. God gave you the victory. You had just traveled three days. You went another 15, 20 miles. There were, you know, probably 1,000 men against you, 400. It was the Lord. But here they were trying to exclude others. See, all I know is that there's this lesson. David right here, he tells them, My brethren, don't do this, because the Lord is the one who's given us what we now have. David, he just really starts to, you know, to, to thrive as a leader. And so, you know, I, I have the responsibility of being a leader. Many of you have the responsibility of being leaders. Some of you here are husbands. Some of you here are parents. Some of you here are overseers in ministry. 
And here we are, the year 2013 is upon us, and I'm telling you this, in my heart, man, I want to be a good servant leader. I don't know how 2012 was for you and the ministry you oversee, or whatever it is that you have going on, but look back, how was it? Is there area for growth? You're not too old to grow. None of us are too good to grow. There's more growth that needs to take place. David now is beginning to come to that place where God is going to entrust him with things that just are so incredible. And I think that that's what I want in my life. I want to grow as a leader. I'll never stop. But David here is growing. Because look what we read in verse 23. It says, um, okay, we read that already, verse 23. Verse 26, And now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were, who were in Jeter, those who were in Aroer, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Eshtemoah, those who were in Rachel, those who were in the cities of the Jerhamelites, and those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Hormah, those who were in Korash, and those who were in Athak, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. He started distributing the wealth. You know, I know this. It must have been a really big prize that David and his men won from the Amalekites because David then begins to forward it to the Israelites, to some of the elders in Judah. It even says to his friends. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily olive branches, uh, but I do think that David here was showing a spirit of generosity and even a spirit of gratitude because it says right here that these were the places that he used to rove. And so, you know, he would go here and he would go there and they never turned on him. They never turned him into Saul. They were kind of like loyal friends. And it was kind of his way of saying, you know, here I have all these things and I want to express my gratitude to you now. What happens a lot of times is that when people get blessed in different ways, they hoard it all to themselves. And you know what they say? They say, you know what? We need to build up our savings account. And maybe you do. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to tell you, you know, oh yeah, because you know the, the fiscal cliff or whatever it might be. I don't know. But I do know this, man, that if God's calling you to be a little bit more generous, to be a little bit more trusting, I, not, not foolish, don't get me wrong. You guys take care of your families. But, you know, know when the Lord is leading you. And so here, David gets all this stuff. And he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't know when he's going to become king. But when he gets all this stuff, he just starts sending it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And God is this, you know what? God's revealing to us now. David is getting ready. He's getting ready to be the leader that God had called him to be. And so we read, David's on his way up, and Saul is on his way down, unfortunately. Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 75, 6 through 7. You guys know this verse, right? For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is a judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And I find comfort in that verse, to be honest with you. God will raise people up, and God will bring people down. He really will. Because look what happens in chapter 31. 
Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan. And it just breaks your heart when you read that, huh? Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The cattle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. And so Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And, and I, I know, that, like I mentioned earlier, that God has our, our, the day of our death circled on his calendar. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that was the day that, that, that he originally had intended for us to die. That doesn't mean that this was the way he originally intended for us to die. Like I said in the beginning, I believe that David and Saul were two men who had similar potential to deliver Israel, to bring glory to God, to be men of integrity and character and to go down in history, two great men. And even when the kingdom was torn from Saul, he still could have cooperated and given it to David and been a better man. But he never, he never was, was, was teachable. He was never reachable. And you really have to search your heart. What type of person are you? You know, when temptation comes your way or when a trial comes your way or, you know, whatever it is, it pushes your buttons. How do you react? How do you respond? Are you responsible? See, Saul never did. And yeah, like I said earlier, God gives us a lot of lifelines because God is so long-suffering. But eventually there's a deadline. And if God has been calling you to repent, just in case, because we can't go by this, without mentioning that. If God is calling you to repent and you don't repent, then be ready because the day will come when you will be judged. And you will die. And God will say, why didn't you listen? I wrote about Saul and he's similar to so many people. Why wouldn't you listen? Why wouldn't you be broken? Why wouldn't you change? Why wouldn't you confess your sin?" See, a lot of people, unfortunately, are like that. And I think that looking at Saul, it's just when we see the way he ended, you guys, I mean, you know, huh? We know it shouldn't have been this way. It shouldn't have been this way. First Chronicles chapter 10, it says he died because of his unfaithfulness. He died because he sought a medium instead of seeking the Lord. And so what we find is that here in the end, Samuel had prophesied it would happen back in chapter 28, verse 19. The Israelites, they fight the Philistines. The men of Israel begin to flee, having been defeated. But what ends up happening is the Philistines, they follow hard after Saul and his sons, right? And then Jonathan dies, Abinadab dies, Malchishua dies. And Saul probably saw his sons die. 
I think Saul was responsible for their death, was a tremendous burden that he had to carry at that point. And it's just as Samuel said, next thing you know, think about that, arrows are just flying through the air, and boom, they begin to pierce Saul. And so he tells his armor bearer, because he knows, I don't think I'm going to make it, you know, kill me. Unless the Philistines come and torture me, but his armor bearer can't do it. And so Saul, what does he do? He takes his own life. Seven people in the Bible who take their own life. He's one of them. He takes his own life. Falling as an own sword, his armor bearer does the same. And later when David would find out, he'd just, say, he'd just cry out, how, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Guys and gals who you knew there was so much more for them. You guys, I don't think that's going to be you. I'm just so, I just believe so much more for you, Thursday nighters. I just do, man. <laughs> Keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord, okay? I mean, you know, even if there was supposed to be a transition in his position, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And yet how many people, like Saul, because of their persistent, consistent, resistant, insistent disobedience, have not finished the race. God help us to learn from the terrible ending of Saul's life. A man who in the end was distracted with David, tormented with demons, sought the counsel of the ungodly, and saw such a switch in which the enemies whom he had previously defeated, the Amalekites and the Philistines, were now partially responsible for his own defeat. Even in all this, we see that in the end, and this is so, it's so ugly, he killed himself. And I think that that really is kind of a, a, an accurate way of describing how some people end their life. And so what ends up happening in verse 7, And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And so what happened the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. See, what ends up happening is when the, the people who claim to be Christians or the people who profess Christianity, they, 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 they live this type of life. It is it's a terrible witness. We find that when you read First Chronicles chapter 10, they cut off Saul's head and they put it in the temple of Dagon. And so their gods were kind of lifted up. Yeah, we got the victory. When in all reality, when we live for the Lord, it's so cool, the Lord ends up getting the victory. But it's so cool to read how it ends in verse 11. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, there it is, that's what we're looking for, the mighty men of valor, the valiant men, arose, they traveled all night, they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And notice it says they fasted seven days. Now we know David would later reward the men of Jabesh-Gilead uh, something we read about in Second Samuel chapter 2, because here they exemplified amazing courage for Saul and his sons, traveling 20 miles all night, stealing the bodies, 
giving proper burial to their remains, and then even in the end, fasting for seven days. Apparently, these men had not forgotten that Saul had saved them from the Ammonites in his first major battle as king, something we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And even though Saul as a man didn't deserve it, as the king, as the representative of God, and as the one who had this prominent position, they respected that as a loyal man of God. So the Lord would then reward them for that. And so in the end, you guys, as we close, in such a tragic way, and we're going to see this, God's going to use this now as a transition to make David eventually the king. There was one of Saul's sons that wasn't there. I think his name was Ishbosheth, something like that. We don't know why he wasn't there, but he eventually becomes king just for a small, a short period of time. But God is going to bring David to that place. And he's going to be that picture of Christ that we need to learn from. And so, you guys, you wanna you wanna learn from these things, right? You you wanna learn, remember what I shared last time? What not to do. Most of the lessons we see, okay, don't do that. Don't do that. When you see Saul, you're like, don't do that. You know, whatever it is, it could be you and your, your marriage. It could be you and your marriage. And you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Over and over again. You guys are just like fighting and the neighbors are like, man, what's up over there, you know? I don't know what the situation is with you, whatever. You know, when are you going to change? God's been saying to you as a husband, I want you to pray with your wife. I want you to read the Bible with your wife. I want you to do a date with your wife every once in a while, like once every 10 years or something. I, I, don't, I don't know, you know. I mean, but whatever it is, you know, just, um, I don't know. I do know this, that, that we have to make sure that we don't keep doing the same things. You guys, I, I pray that we would grow. I'm excited about 2013, and I believe God is going to do some really great things and so uh, pray that the Lord will raise up labors because this harvest is, is so incredible. Now, tomorrow is the end of the world, right? Is it tomorrow? So we've got to be ready for this. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> How will I really respond? How am I going to respond? This was the vivid difference between Saul and David. It distinguished how they lived and it distinguished how they died. It distinguished how they went up or they went down in history. The question is, how will I really respond? And how will I finally finish one day? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. And Lord, we know. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.